Hello everyone, it's Friday the 9th of December and welcome to episode 133 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. We're heading across the pond for today's episode, looking at the US dairy situation, futures markets and firm sentiment. We're joined by Lucas Fees, who is Director of Dairy Market Intelligence at High Ground Dairy. High Ground is an independent introducing brokerage firm with multiple futures clearing merchant relationships we're also joined by john allen from kite our podcast producer and senior consultant at kite becky leach and as always we're joined by everybody's favorite dairy market analyst chris walkland chris over to you for the milk market report where are you this week well, I'm running around with my pop gun again this week, shouting bang, because we've got another big gun on from the good old US of A, Mr. Lucas. Now, I'm massively envious of high ground because not only are they all brilliant dairy analysts, but they all look like gods, not like John and me, who look godforsaken. I mean, take Lucas. He really is the best a man can get, not only as a dairy analyst, but because he should be on the telly advertising shavers, not like Will and Ben, who look as if they can't afford shavers. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just thankful he didn't mention me. We're going to have to <laughs> We're all going to have to step up our game to look as cool as he does, which is what I'm doing today with the aid of this drink which you can't see at the moment and that brings me on to where i am today because i'm also in the states at the headquarters of pepsico near new york why am i here well in america right now if you're cool nice and apparently naughty the best thing you can do is drink pilk which is a mix of pepsi and milk <laughs> it is I quote, one dirty soda, their words not mine, and I'm going to try it now. Wait some good milk if you ask me, but perhaps Lucas can tell us more about this potential boost for or waste of the white stuff later. But first, to my report. And I'll start with the GDT and some milk price news from down under. The GDT, as we know, is pretty rubbish at the moment because China isn't buying anything. Although this week the auction was 0.6% less rubbish than it was beforehand. And it propelled the mainstay of the auction, whole milk powder, up by $3. So hang out the bunting on that one. As a result of that and previous lacklustre auctions, Fonterra has dropped its forecast milk price down to $9 per kilogram of solids, around 36p, which shouldn't be a surprise to our listener. I've been saying that that's the sort of price the auction has been converting to for months. In Europe, I'd love to be able to say there's a flaw in the market, but there isn't. Uh, butter continues to drop its trousers to any passing buyer, in fact. And that's a technical term we use over here, Lucas. I've not heard it in your webinar yet, so I'll be looking out for it from now on. 
So I've seen a bid come in today for as low as 5,100 euros for quarter four for butter from Friesland Campina. For you, Lucas, I think that's $5,400 or $2.4 a pound, I think, in your language. And the US price is $2.9, I think. So your prices are much higher than ours on that front. I've also seen quarter one butter prices below 5,000 euros. But that those are bid prices. Doesn't mean to say manufacturers are going to accept them. Uh, but I do know traders are struggling to sell because buyers think the price tomorrow is going to be cheaper than it is today. So we're holding off. And I'll tell you something else that's happening too. Some buyers have booked product over recent weeks at much higher prices than now, but haven't taken delivery. So these rascals are trying to or actually reneging on these contracts or renegotiating them or refusing to send deposits or credit notes. They're wriggling out of them every which way they can, not necessarily uh, UK or European ones, um, but Middle East, I've heard maybe Southern European ones too. And sellers don't want these products back. So what happens? Well, there's a fire sale and prices drop further. There's also a lot of butter coming out of Ireland as their accounting year end closes at the end of December. So they're trying to sell as much as they can. And that's adding to the problem. Uh, cream also. Well, that's down too in Europe. Um, it's fallen 1,200 euros in in one week, 15% down. And that's because Christmas demand has finished. Over here, we have another week or so to go. Prices are 210 to 215. Uh, powder is seemingly stable, but butter and skim um, are converting to the low 30 to 33 pence range now so quick look on the futures but before i do allow me to have another drink not of this pilk stuff but a very large one from a bottle of the scottish hard stuff and i suggest you do the same you'll certainly want to after hearing this week's numbers so eu butter january and february contracts down 300 euros on last week march to august contracts down 400 euros so the price they convert is the same as the real market a disaster of a price um so where does that take us well even if prices settle five pence higher than i'm talking about we're going to see some of the biggest and fastest cuts coming here in europe and i'm going to have a bet with you now john and lucas I reckon that by April next year, European farmers and their organisations will be screaming at the Commission for private storage or some sort of market aid if these prices come down 10, 15 cents like they probably should. So, yeah, I'll have a 10 quid, 10 euro, uh, $10 bet with you there. Uh, to cheese, well, it's the same story. Mozzarella is now at 3,450. So 10 pence less. It's worth 10 pence less 
than Glambia and others will be paying for in January. And cheddar, that's down again to 4,300 now, sterling to 4,400, but even lower parcels are kicking around. Uh, finally, spot is looking okay. That's probably the best news of the week. 42 to 45p, that's been buoyed by the cold weather and Christmas demand, but it won't stay at that for long. So there you are, another gloom fest of a report, but now to Chicago to hear about what's happening in Biden land. So take it away, cool hand Lucas. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Um, let's start with telling us uh, a bit about yourself and your role at High Ground, please. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And uh, I think we you should give me a disclaimer next time that I get to follow Chris's uh, uh, interesting market report. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we could we can interesting. <laughs> Nobody what can see me? you doing the quotation marks. Will just yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever uh, smiled as much with all that bearish news. So <laughs> maybe uh, uh, yeah. maybe farmers can digest that a little bit better with a bit of humor. <laughs> Uh, no, but thank you. Um, thanks for having me. This is this is wonderful. Uh, I work for High Ground Dairy in Chicago. I've been here almost five years now. Uh, so we're yeah, as you kind of mentioned at the beginning, futures and options brokerage firm primarily. Uh, so our customers are the entire dairy industry, both here in the states and globally. So farmers, processors, co-ops, big end users of products. Um, I kind of actually don't touch the trading world at all, though. I, um, I'm a market analyst, dairy economist, so I do a lot of the writing about the markets. We also have a podcast. We do webinars, uh, forecast prices, kind of any, any data around the world that touches the market. I'll kind of try to find the story in, and uh, my team and I will put together that subscription package. So I... Um, I've been in dairy my whole life. I grew up on a dairy farm in upstate New York. So my family are still dairying there. It was it was very nice when my brother said that he wanted the farm because I did not. So that made for a <laughs> healthy and seamless uh, family tr transition there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not always the case. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. they milk uh, 250 cows there in uh, in upstate, beautiful New York state. Um, easy to get home to from Chicago. A lot of dairy farms up there, isn't it? I know, I know a few dairy farms in that part of the world. There are. When I was growing up, it was the, I think it was the third biggest dairy state in the U.S. after mm -hmm. California and Wisconsin. But growth in Idaho and Texas over the past several years have kicked New York into fifth now, I believe, okay. but okay. still in the top five. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so back when uh, Trump was in the White House, we were told that there would be a three billion pound food fund, which would, in essence, provide a, a really big boost to dairy. What happened to that? <laughs> well, uh, two and a half years ago, uh, during the pandemic, I think a lot of that buying was focused on the Farmers to Families Food Box program, which yeah. is a... Uh, has not been easily forgotten in many analysts' minds. We saw uh, the block cheese price go from $1 per pound, which is close to a record low, 
uh, all the way up to $3 per pound, which is close to, uh, or might even have been a record highs in just two months. So the, the graphs and the volatility that that caused was just absolutely uh, unlike anything we had ever seen before. Uh, and then, of course, kind of prices moderated a little bit. And then right before that 2020 election, President Trump announced additional funding and we saw even crazier moves. And it was it was really wild to watch there, a combination of that government spending, you know, trying to get food to families during the pandemic. Uh, there, You could say there was maybe a little bit of election year uh, handouts to dairy farmers in swing states like Wisconsin. Um, so that was, uh, that was quite the adventure, but I think even more recently, we, Biden, President Biden announced a $1 billion spend on food that included dairy. Uh, but the kind of the announcement there was pretty disappointing, really, really low volumes of cheese and milk. And, uh, in the official solicitation, at least, uh, USDA stated that, processors and co-ops could bid above that number of uh, pounds of food that they were seeking. So just hmm. kind of s- spread a lot of confusion so far and hasn't really been market impacting as much as the one a few years ago. Um, certainly fresh in all of our minds, though, of what U.S. government spending can do to the market. Interesting times. So um, you mentioned volumes there, and U.S. milk volumes are up currently, which looks like good news in the context of global averages. Why is that? Yeah, uh, we're we're in a very different situation now as we speak here in December versus where we were several months ago. I mean, the first half of this year, whether it was the U.S., uh, Europe, including the U.K., New Zealand, I mean, all of the key global areas really down sharply on milk and saw pretty healthy prices there. But that situation has rapidly switched. Uh, U.S. farmers have added cows here over the past several months. Uh, We're now above prior year on those cow numbers here in the States. Yield, of course, continues to expand rapidly, which contributes to that growth. And the profits, I think, that farmers saw over the past several months have been, of course, uh, converted into more milk, as dairy farmers do best. Uh, we're we're kind of up in the mid, you know, one and a half percent or so average over the past few months. That could probably touch as much as two percent higher versus prior year here into November and December. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly more milk here on on the horizon over the next several months, and we should have a pretty decent spring flush period. I think we'll we'll get into this maybe a little bit more here later, but. Um, um, that cost of production is kind of a wild card and watching feed prices closely as well to see how that impacts 2023 volumes at the end of it. For sure. I mean, what, what is the situation with um, regards to inflation in the US? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a story similar to most parts of the world at this point. I think technically our numbers here are are not as high as what I've seen from the UK or or different parts of uh, the European Union. We were kind of seven or eight percent year over year uh, is the official number, but it certainly feels higher than that when we go to the grocery store or uh, put yeah. gas in our gas tanks or I mean wherever we're spending, it's it seems like much more painful than a, than a seven or eight percent number. Uh, most recent data for October said that that had maybe moderated a little bit. So 
kind of maybe a gleam of hope for this over the next few months. But I think from a federal standpoint, our interest rates will continue to sharply climb here as as the Fed tries to get a handle on this. And it it sounds like it'll be a kind of a, a painful Christmas season here. And consumers are running low on cash, I think, pretty quickly. So uh, lots of lots of red flags and and concerns for the state of the economy into 2023 and potential for you know of course a, a U.S. recession recession across the pond turns yeah. into maybe global challenges here in the coming months. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's talk about those costs of production which we were discussing last week on the podcast. How how are those costs looking for U.S. farmers? It's it's steep. That's for sure. Um, you know, I I didn't ever think that. I could, you know, I've been in in this career for 11 years. And if I had seen, this is US language, of course, but 22, 23, $24 per hundred pounds of milk. I feel like in in a past life, farmers would be celebrating that from Mm -hmm. the rafters, but with those costs that have escalated as well, it's really not been as rosy of a situation as we would have thought, whether it's feed, whether it's energy, whether it's you know, depreciation and interest costs that are climbing. Uh, labor, of course, is a more and more expensive and critical issue on farms. I mean, a combination of all of that has just skyrocketed costs and really minimized any of the, what we thought would be really good profitability that farmers could have seen here over the past few months. Uh, I think it'll be a squeeze here in the coming months. We've seen Maybe a bit of good news. We have seen corn and that soybean meal price come off a little bit, which translates into some a moderation in feed costs versus the worst case scenario that we were looking at over uh, if we had recorded this a few weeks ago. But all that said, I mean, costs are still up there, and looking at milk price futures, it could be could be pretty uh, tight here into 2023. Uh, certainly, a much uh, much less profitable year than 2022 when considering how things looked over uh, Q2, Q3 this year. John, you've been sitting very tight there, listening. Yeah. I'm, I'm itching to know what's going through your head in terms of comparison with this side of this side of the Atlantic. Yeah, well, I'm just trying to do the while I do the mental maths on that uh, cost of production in the states, uh, and you can tell me if I'm roughly right or wrong in a minute, Luca. I was, if you can just tell us what I we were being told earlier this year, that there is a, a big drought impact across the whole of the states, particularly in Western states, and that is covering a lot of dairy areas. And that it, what, what is the real situation on the ground at present? Because we heard about half of US dairy uh, production was in drought-affected areas. Is that the case or not? Yeah, I probably about half is probably a, a good estimate there. I also had seen it in um, in terms of crop or grain producing areas, about half as well. Uh, it was certainly a drier year, but I don't know if it was dry enough to really kind of negatively impact uh, dairy production. I think uh, it's just kind of unfortunately across many Western states. So California, Idaho, Colorado, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, kind of those big dairy states out West. It's just becoming a, a, a constant year after year type issue more so than, than something that kind of pops up uh, occasionally. I think farmers are uh, doing everything they can to kind of try to deal with this water situation or lack thereof every year. 
Um, some states have it regulated a little bit more than others, but in some states, it's just a matter of if you're a dairy farmer with a deeper well, you're better off than, than your neighbor. Uh, there is a bit of good news, though. I think um, we're in the start of the snowpack season, which uh, in a lot of these states, the, the winter snowfall will translate into how much irrigation water is available for the next year. And so far in California, we've seen a lot of snow, even in November and December. So that, of course, needs to continue for a few more months, but it looks like we're being set up uh, for a, a better situation into 2023, which is, of course, good news. Yeah, so it might balance out. Just going to come back on the cost of production, because if you're saying... Do you reckon that the cost of production break even in the States is around $20, $22? Is that roughly what you were thinking? Yeah, I think that's a yeah. very accurate estimate. You know, it's, of course, a little bit different on a regional basis. Um, yeah. We're kind of turning into a situation with, if you look at feed costs and uh, basis on feed that you know has to move from the Midwest to California, maybe, uh, Western states seeing a little bit higher cost of production. Uh, we're kind of in a situation now, it's kind of a pendulum in the states based on feed costs year over year, which region is kind of best set up for the best year. And we're in a situation now where the Midwest, I think, so states like Wisconsin, Minnesota, South Dakota are in a little bit better situation than than states out West. But yeah, twenty to twenty-two dollars per hundred weight, probably a pretty accurate cost of production estimate. Um, a few months ago, when when milk prices were, like I said, twenty-two to twenty-four, that was uh, that was an okay situation. But when we look at milk futures that are uh, possibly dipping as low as eighteen dollars here in the coming months, that creates a a negative situation. Well, we can beat that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, we can be gloomier than that, actually. <laughs> in Europe, I mean, how, how are your guys? So, if they've got for our listener, that roughly would be just over forty pence, so a bit less than the UK, but probably uh, not as low as anybody imagines. So, if if that's the case, and we've got futures prices now in Europe pointing towards thirty-two, thirty-three p for next year then that would probably take your prices down to $15, $16. How, how, how are your guys going to react if the futures markets went as low as that? That uh, $15, $16 milk would be a, a critical, critically negative situation. I don't know uh, how to, <laughs> how to no, say You're that. no different to us then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think... Um, you know, we'd see probably rapid uh, reduction in the herd size here in the States. Wow. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes it takes a few months to kind of steer the ship on, on mm-hmm. milk production and, and cow numbers, but we'd see a rapid kind of rapid culling, uh, farmers trying to right size their herds. Uh, we like to say, one of my coworkers at High Ground always uses the term, the, the cows need to pay the rent or they're not going to be able to stay in the barn anymore. So mm-hmm. if they're not paying their rent, then it's, then it's off to, uh, off to not so green pastures for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, can I pause? Cause I, I'm just going to replace my dropping trousers 
uh, comment with critically negative because that sounds much more authoritative <laughs> than it from Lucas. So I'm just going to nick some that's of your statements. When, that's what happens I, when we I, have professional market analysts on the show. I, I thought I thought he was pausing because he had to drop his. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> because he was so shocked. But I thought you were making some intelligent comments earlier, Christopher, <laughs> about actually in the states. Yeah, you know, what you were just saying, Lucas, is that they, your farmers, you know, do put cows off very quickly if you get low prices. You know, I mean, what we we seem to go and try and produce more milk initially on low prices. Although we we could debate that in a minute. But uh, but what is it about the states that makes farmers just put cows off very quickly? You know, I I th- th- we'd certainly have uh, some some farmers who are just going to make as much milk as possible, <laughs> whether it's profitable or not. But you know, I think there's others that are just watching those costs so sharply and and have a really good handle on their um, cost of production on, you know, on dollar per hundred weight basis and can try to quickly adjust there. Um, some of them will have milk locked up in the futures market. So, um, you know, if, if they've kind of have a plan that works for them and, and, and futures kind of tank, but they've locked something in, maybe they're much uh, less affected and can keep cows on. But if not, um, if not, and especially, you know, it maybe depends on the the beef price or the cull cow price, uh, how quickly that happens, and if it's even profitable or not to send cows off. But um, it it is interesting to watch, and it's uh, it's nice. Also, I think the I've griped at USDA a little bit over the past few months. The herd size data has been a little bit less reliable, but we get that regularly on a monthly basis, and can really see the adjustments there on a state 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 to state uh, level. What about export, Lucas? Um, what are the US export volumes like for dairy products at the moment? And where do you see the market going in terms of export? I suppose in, in the light of increased volumes, but also, I mean, what you were saying about the drought situation sort of ameliorates that. Yeah, it's actually, all things considered, has been another incredible year for US exports. Uh, we'll set another kind of record high on a calendar year basis here in 2022. And that's regardless of, you know, all the chatter and all the negative uh, headwinds that we saw throughout the past year or more on shipping and logistics and uh, boats lined up at the port of LA and can't get any product to port. And it was cheaper for you know these shipping companies to send back empty containers to China than wait and fill it up with uh, dairy products or American agriculture. And regardless of all that, we've seen year-over-year gains. Uh, most months hit record highs there on an individual monthly basis. And so it's really a testament to those logistics people at co-ops and processors and kind of the, the hard work that they did to make sure that products were still getting on those boats. Um, all that said, I think there are maybe some negative headwinds into 2023. I was kind of looking at this yesterday, you know, as, as you mentioned, costs in, or, uh, dairy product prices in Europe coming off quite quickly, just, uh, in some, some of those indices, just a total collapse here in the past few weeks into the red, um, and New Zealand still kind of struggling there on the GDT. It kind of puts the U S in a situation where, I think we were a little bit more of a value buy over the past several months. So 
buyers abroad could turn to us and and really save some money there on products that they need. But if the rest of the world is much more competitive from a price point, uh, it makes U.S. exports a little bit more challenging here into into the coming months. Yeah, we need to have a word with you about exports because a few years ago, uh, America was truly terrible ex- at exporting anything. <laughs> and now you're really good. And the better that America is, the harder it is for the EU to export its products. So what we need in the EU is for you to be terrible again. <laughs> to screw up like you used to do. You wish. <laughs> I think uh, now, I mean, it's a testament to whether it's the U.S. Dairy Export Council or, you know, work on individual company levels. It's years and years ago, we saw the opportunity and we saw that we are, you know, if you look around the, we can get into a conversation on this too, around the globe on areas that are going to continue growing milk versus those that are kind of stagnating or holding steady. I think the U.S. will continue to grow year after year here, and we realize that we need a place to send all of those products, and that commitment to exports has really paid off, and I think continue to will here for for us in the States. Don't don't you have a a levy from the farmers that helps the exports? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So they, they, they do pay into kind of a promotional fund, and some of the export work is funded by that as well. but all that said, I mean, we've we've also seen investments on an individual company level for sales offices abroad and developing relationships with buyers, uh, whether it's in Asia or the Middle East or wherever wherever they are in the world, kind of trying to build those relationships. So we're not as much of a a, a cost dependent exporter, but more of a regular and reliable uh, provider of dairy products to the world. I was just going to come in on this export piece then, because when we look at the growth of demand around the world for dairy, then obviously, you know, New Zealand isn't going to be there in that space at present, not with their environmental constraints. Europe's exiting stage left, despite actually having a big last flush of milk now. Uh, And then you've got yourselves. Well, you're going to have the fields yourselves in the future going forward. And the big constraints we've got always been around sustainability so do, do does your industry is it escaping all this pressure on sustainability that we seem to get i don't think that we are totally escaping it um i think that you know the industry has done a lot of work internally on sustainability and there are initiatives at kind of individual co-op or processor levels on sustainability and kind of benchmarking and and looking at the future and where we need to be and facing buyer and consumer pressure. But to your point where there is much less pressure is from a federal or from a government standpoint, you know, we really don't have much of anything from, from a government level that's telling us what to do or telling us how much to cut back or telling farmers how to change their practices. So it's much more internally kind of led there, which um, makes it, I think, a little bit easier to uh, digest and and plan for the future rather than a, a mandate that is kind of forced on farmers or forced on companies. Uh, I don't, so all that said, I mean, we're, we're not holding still, you know, we know that it is an issue and we need to constantly do better. And 
I think to the industry's uh, um, credit, we've done a lot of work internally. I was uh, I was in the Northwest a few few weeks ago and saw one co-op here had carbon neutral by 2050 on a lot of their packaging. So there is consumer messaging there, and I'm sure they're getting pressure from from the buy side to kind of look at these practices. But uh, if you look at it from a production standpoint, I mean, I think the U.S. is still on trend for kind of one to two percent growth here over the long term versus to your point, uh, European Union or or UK or New Zealand uh, dairies that are kind of limited in their in their future growth potential. Yeah, yeah we, that, we, we that, that, that's a potential. Sorry, John, that, that's a potential for for for, for regulatory sort of sustainable regulation on, on sustainability items. That, that that's that's pretty much the case state to state, is it, Lucas? Yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, um, if you're in a state like California that has a lot more pressure on environmental kind of regulations or, or a big population forcing it. Uh, their farmers in California have a little bit more regulation than, than some other states that uh, it's a little bit easier to do business in, as you might say, or uh, don't have those pressures kind of being forced from the state level governments. I, I, I just find the whole sustainability piece intriguing, uh, Lucas, because I guess if I was a, a, a Dutch farmer now, then actually, and I was a young farmer and I had some ambition. And I know you've got a lot of your industry is based on Dutch farmers who've emigrated over to your states. Then I guess they, that, that's where they're going to head, listening to you, isn't it? I think so. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, we have nothing like the the pressures that farmers are facing in other parts of the world. And I mean, it's it's wild to me to see the the media coverage, or in some cases, lack thereof, of the protests in the Netherlands or other places. Um, yeah. But I also, to your point, I years ago I I was visiting a dairy farm. I think I was in Michigan, and they were flying the Dutch flag higher than the American flag. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, certainly no shortage of uh, farmers from abroad who have moved here to. Uh, to, to keep doing what they love. Well, you know, you know, and I don't know if the other guys know, but there's like a cow mafia in the States. Uh, and they're often of Dutch origin, aren't they, Lucas? When yes. They a, when they have a wedding, then all these guys turn up. And in order to get into the wedding, you have to have 50,000 cows. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> oh, I love we've, that. We've got we've got some aspiring ones in the UK, but they can't get anywhere near that, mate. I'm going to say it sounds like one of your clubs, John. Blimey. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, well. Lucas, you've um, you've painted sort of. You've got quite a varied picture here. So this this question is is quite a difficult one. Next, but what would you say farmer sentiment is like among amongst US dairy farmers generally at the moment? I, I think it's okay. Uh, you know, we're we're coming off a, a decent year, which has helped. And I mean, to all the things that we've discussed, whether it's a good export year, um, there are maybe some challenges on the inflation level with kind of figuring out exactly where consumer demand is going to go here, uh, whether it's you know, pressures at the grocery store, maybe buying a little bit less dairy products there or people going out to eat less. Uh, I'm very keen to see how some of those uh, domestic demand pieces develop here in the coming months. But um, overall, I, I think farmers are in, in a decent place. Um, maybe a little bit of concern, like we talked about, of 
costs and just kind of how much more expensive can it get to make milk here uh, into the coming years. But uh, overall, forecasts show, like I said, one to two percent more milk here year over year for an extended basis. So uh, farmers will keep doing what they do best here and, and, and pumping out milk. Yeah. Chris, um, news from the GDT seems a bit more positive this week. <laughs> I, think, I think Chris that's and Becky disagreed I, on this. Well, yeah, that's because he was so why miserable I'm, on the blooming email. This is why I'm hesitatingly asking this. because Yeah, not, this is what it is. But why is it more positive? <laughs> Becky was determined to get this in. Uh, look, use Chris's terminology, it's less negative. Slightly yeah. less negative than it exactly. was last week. 0.6 is 0.6. You know, Look, I'm saying you've been such a miserable sod over the last few weeks. We're giving you this opportunity to be cheerful about 0.6 percent. It's, it's more than zero. I mean, three dollars. I I've no idea why it was it was was that. I don't know whether Lucas has, but you can't draw any conclusions from 0.6 percent by the time i'd converted that into a uk milk price equivalent currency had eroded that (laughs) 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 go back to being mr gloomy yeah i think that's about as positive as we're going to get sounds like it all right lucas how do you see the long-term outlook for dairy in the u.s it's, you know, I've kind of alluded to some of this, but I think it's, it's still, it's still good. Uh, you know, if farmers can find a, a place that is supportive to their dairy business, um, you know, we continue to see investments in processing capacity in a lot of parts, a lot of that skewing towards the cheese side recently versus other products. But, um, you know, we continue to see inv- plant investments there. Um, so people kind of have homes for their milk, um, farmers kind of finding alternative revenue streams. There's been some investment in, uh, methane digesters, which kind of provides them some income from a renewable energy standpoint, which helps pay the bills. Um, and then to all of our points about, you know, sustainability and the less pressure here versus in other parts of the world. We will continue to be the, I think, primary growth area of the world on a milk production basis. And as long as we can continue to, to push those products abroad to, uh, to Chris's uh, hesitation or frustration there, um, you know, as long as we can continue to see exports grow and build those relationships and have a market for our milk, we will continue to see more and more milk on a year-to-year basis. Yeah. Don't, okay. don't worry about Chris's hesitation or frustration. He's always <laughs> like that. <laughs> I, I, I just on on that, um, uh, was it Pilk, the Pepsi drink that, that Chris was, uh, which I didn't like the sound of. Is well, there much? Well, um, that's not uh, really an export, surely. Well, I can't see it catching on over here, but you never know. But but is is there much happening on milk promotion generally in the US? It's um, you know there are still campaigns and promotion. Um, but I think the, one of the biggest, at least on the fluid side, I mean, one of the biggest success stories recently has been kind of ultra filtered milk. There are a few different brands, but the primary one being uh, fair life, I think owned by Coca-Cola, there is yeah. no Coca-Cola soda in it, <laughs> unlike pilk, <laughs> but, um, you know, fair life climbing into a billion dollar brand in just mm-hmm. a few years and, and other 
companies kind of copying that high protein, high calcium, um, lactose-free type of model on the fluid side has been a success story. Um, it hasn't saved the category by any means. I'm sure the story's the same in the UK of that uh, fluid or liquid milk kind of consumption declining, but everything else in the States seems to uh, be seeing success. We, we continue to see more and more cheese consumption on a year-over-year basis. Um, other products as well, seeing um, at least flat or, or growth. Uh, butter has been the story of the year. We've seen record high prices uh, yet again, and a, a price that stayed really high month after month um, as, as demand has been kind of, um, uh, we haven't seen any real decline in demand, I should say, even with a record high price. And in fact, some companies even choosing, regardless of the record high price, to use more butter because it's easier on a label and it tastes better and it's what consumers want. So there are still some some pretty good success stories here about dairy, which is optimistic for the future. Fantastic. More, more butter, more milk, more cheese. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> and that's a really positive way to end. Well, that's all we have time for this week. But a big thank you to our guests today, Lucas Fees, John Allen, Chris Walkland, and podcast producer, Becky Leach. Yes, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.